Hello and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. This episode is brought to you by ExpressVPN. I'm Simone de Rochefort, supervising video producer at Polygon, and I am here with Christina Warren, senior developer advocate at GitHub, and Brianna Wu, executive director of Rebellion Pack. Hey, I did that without looking at <laughs> Yay! I'm learning and growing. It's only taken five years. Sim- no, I'm kidding. I'm teasing. Five years. You'd think having a, a beautiful, let's see, how long is my streak now? 550-day Russian streak in Duolingo would help my memory, and instead, it has done nothing but disintegrate it. Are you, are you learning Russian? <laughs> I'm learning Russian. That's I've been awesome. learning Russian for 550 yeah. days. I did not I know that about you. you. I'm, I'm, I'm so proud of you about this. Like, I really am. <laughs> oh, and yet, I'm still so bad at it. What, what made you pick Russian? Uh, part of it was the, the Spycraft doc, and then part of it, it, it was like the Spycraft doc in, um, in, in tandem with thinking like, ah, like I'm learning all this stuff about the Cold War. Weird that I like speak French and I'm so familiar with my family's French history, but not like the Russian side of my family, because my dad's family, aside from being French, spent like a hundred years in Russia. Um, in the like early 1900s, it went great for them. In case you were wondering, no, I was gonna say, uh, I was gonna say, <laughs> clearly went fantastic for them, especially with a last name like De Rochefort. So I guess you know you have like some of the. The only like oh the Russians loved it, it was very fashionable to be French uh, in the like eighteen hundreds is what I have learned and it, one of the weird things that I learned actually I was listening to ninety nine percent invisible the other day and they were interviewing some Russian speaking Koreans um, long story short very interesting episode but they were speaking in Russian and I heard a word that I recognized and that word was koshmar which is nightmare in French. And I was like, wait, are you kidding me? And it's a loan word. They're the Russian word for nightmare is a French loan word. Huh. And there's a few cases like that. I And I asked my dad, like, why <laughs> they do not share like a family, a language family at all. But I think there are just some words that were like, oh, yeah, we'll use the French because it's sexy to us. Mm-hmm. Um, so, see, yeah, I would interesting, learn, interesting if stuff. I went to, if I learned another language, it would definitely be Chinese because something that happens with Frank a lot while we're out is like people that actually speak Chinese will walk up to him and start speaking in Chinese. <laughs> yeah. And he just kind of sheepishly looks down and he's like, uh, I'm American born Chinese. Sorry. Oh, no. <laughs> I, so I funny. Know. I don't know any of this. And I'm like, yeah, Frank, I feel like your dad, when he was alive, spoke so much Chinese. Like, I would just think you would have picked some of this up just being at home. He's so like would... so many cases like that, though. Yes, yeah, I mean, 100%. unless your parents made you continue to go to like a lot of my Chinese friends um, and um, it, growing up, like they would go to like school on Saturdays to continue their Chinese lessons. But if you don't keep it up with that, you know, like you don't you know, you, you lose that stuff. That's definitely Frank. But I would want to learn that Poor just Frank. for spite. Just for spite. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so I love that. In those situations. I love that. Um, quick, oh. quick, quick, quick note at the top of the show. So this is episode 420, which we failed on. So next week, I think that we need to do what we had talked about doing. Um, but <laughs> also, also next week, uh, that this is a failure on my, on my part because I should have reminded us all. But also, next week will be our eighth anniversary. Are you oh kidding me? I'm not, I'm not joking. So, so we, uh, we debuted on, um, Jan- on January 19th, 2015. So, um, next week, I'm going to cry. Yeah. So next week, it'll literally be like eight years to the day when our episode goes up. So, um, oh my God. Uh, congrats to us. I don't think I've ever had a job longer than eight years. In fact, I know. No, I this is it. So. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, not, not even I haven't, I stay at places forever. I was, I was at Mashable for seven years. So this oh is, we, we even beat Mashable. Yeah. So, You're a serial um, monogamist. I, I really am. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm coming <laughs> up at, 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 at six on the, on the Microsoft ecosystem, but, uh, this is definitely, um, uh, my longest, Oof, one of my longest relationships. So, um, yay to us. Wow. But also, wow. Also, our failure for, for not being more prepared for 420, but next week we will. No, that's not true, Christina, because I woke up today. I have a, um, I got my Peloton rower and I pulled a muscle in my back. <laughs> and I am super high on uh, muscle uh, relaxers oh, right no. now. So, <laughs> so I'm a little bit high. Yeah. Yeah. I wish that I were. So next week I will make up for that. I want to do Listen, a product it's not review our fault about that there this. was a 
there was news this week. There was. Yeah, Sorry, go on. No, I was just going to say, at some point, I want to do a product review on Rocket about uh-huh. the Peloton Row. It is so good, y'all. It okay, is good. really, really, really good. And it's hard okay. to make a rowing machine worth $3,000, but they did it. So Those mad lads have done it again. They did it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into this week's stories. Uh, listeners, you are a strap in because we're going to talk about this week's FAA uh, system outage, as well as an exciting new rumor for future Max, which comes from a familiar source. For dessert, we will be discussing Logan Paul's alleged second cryptocurrency scam, uh, which is getting renewed attention lately. And our boosties, our beloved subscribers who are paying members and get an ad-free show, they will get to hear us discuss Prince Harry's new memoir, Spare, which also came out this week. That is in our bonus segment, which will take place after the show. Uh, So stay tuned for that if you are a Rocket subscriber. And thank you so much for doing so, because you allow us in this time of reduced ad revenue to continue making this fun show for you all. So... Without further ado, let us get into the stories. Wednesday, January 11th, the Notice to Air mission or NOTAM alert system used by the FAA suffered a massive outage, delaying and or canceling flights all across this dang nation and by extension, the world. NOTAM alerts or NOTAMs transmit info about land and air hazards for the New York Times, things like closed airways or closed runways, rather airspace restrictions and navigational signal disruptions, all important things for keeping passengers and uh, flight crews safe as they take to the friendly skies. <laughs> the FAA says that a damaged database file was to blame for the outage. Uh, notably, there was no evidence of a cyber attack, which was, of course, the first thing that my mom asked me about when I texted her saying, Huge airline outage? Question mark. Uh, this follows, of course, the weather-related cancellations and delays over Christmas and New Year's that affected thousands of passengers all across the country in what has been a very difficult year for air travel. Uh, the New York Times writes that the FAA is an organization that is overworked, underfunded, and has been unable to update many of its decades-old systems and processes to account for larger numbers of travelers and to account for new technology, which is information that I love to know. Over the course of today, uh, Wednesday, as we're recording, some 9,000 flights were delayed, (sighs) some 13,000 canceled. Uh, Previously, of course, the FAA had been criticized uh, for failing to provide adequate oversight over Boeing in the development of the 737 MAX. Uh, That work was outsourced to Boeing itself because the FAA did not have the budget and the means to do so. Uh, Those Two of those 737 MAX airplanes, of course, famously crashed in 2018 and 2019 in Indonesia and Ethiopia, um, killing hundreds of people. Uh, Now that we have, as of so recently, a government again, congrats to the House of Representatives, it is highly expected that the FAA will be a topic of hearings. Uh, The organization's latest authorization expires this very year, which means that it potentially faces a complete overhaul, a process which I'm sure will go so smoothly and so well. Uh, The FAA apparently also doesn't have a boss. Um, Stephen Dixon, who is Trump's appointee, stepped down halfway through his term, and Biden had a conversation controversial nominee who nominated last year who never got a senate hearing and now he's been renominated. uh so question mark we'll find out about that um my last piece of information that i learned from researching this was that also according to the new york times congress had previously launched an overhaul of the aviation system known as next gen or next generation air transportation system that overhaul began 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yep, sounds about right. <laughs> and is not done. <laughs> so um, I, I've learned, I think basically my theme of today is that I've learned a lot of upsetting things about um, air travel mm-hmm. in this country. Uh, this follows, of course, my learning some upsetting things about sea travel. But that uh, is neither here nor there. We cannot bring back tall ships. What are we to do? with a apparently very vulnerable and aged notification system for our airlines. 
Well, you know, one of the, the first things that occurred to me when this this happened is thinking back to the uh, the this is back in the Reagan administration. I've only read about this, but uh, there was a in one of the really big blows to the labor movement in the United States. I think you had like eleven thousand air traffic controllers that went on strike for long hours and, you know, low pay way back then, uh, kind of asking to professionalize and to, to get, uh, basically, you know, more, more funding for the work that they're doing. And in what was a historic blow to the organized labor movement, you know, Ronald Reagan fired them all. Um, you know, I think that that really paved the way towards. He loved to do that, didn't he? he yes, he, he really did. did. He did. Um, you know, I think that if we'd made a different choice back then, we would not have like that would have been an organized workforce that would have had the capacity to insist on things like not leaving this systems in, in such a, a poor technical state, literally using code from decades and decades and decades ago, rather than really doing the, uh, the, the overhaul that we need to have this be a modern system. So I, I think this is like the most extreme example of technical debt that, that you could think of because like we've just kept kicking the can down the road on these systems and now it's at a point where it's just truly a nightmare to to bring this up to modern standards and it's exactly like you said simone um like it is very vulnerable to to cyber attack and to me it's it's i I know right now conservatives are being very angry at pete Buttigieg, um who i want to be clear i wasn't a big fan of during the primary but i think he's doing a decent (laughs) job to me the the it's not that you should be angry at him that this happened this week. I think we should be amazed this doesn't happen every week, to be honest. Yeah, I I, I agree with with some of that. I mean, it's interesting because I look, I'm not I was no I mean, from what I remember, I was like no fan of, of Ronald Reagan, like looking back on his policies. I do actually think that deregulating the airline industry was a, a, a crucial and important thing to do. I do not think that we would have air travel the way that we have it right now if we had not uh, deregulated. Uh, having said that, you know, on both sides, um, of both like the the federally maintained systems like the FAA systems and then the airline systems, uh, as we saw with Southwest, and and they are certainly not the only airline that has antiquated uh, systems. I mean, just anytime you try to you know do a booking thing with any of the major carriers, you you run into this stuff. It, it's interesting that this is like transportation is the one of the few categories because you see it not just in in air travel, but you see it with subways, you see it with uh, trains, you know, where like the, the technology is just, it's stuck in the seventies um, or, or, or eighties or, you know, mm-hmm. maybe early nineties. It's the technical debt is, is unreal. And so I think you can blame uh, many administrations for this, right? Like I think that Reagan, I think you're right to, to point it back to that, but we've, we've had like, what, like six administrations since then. Um, and no one has prioritized any of this. And I, and I think that it's really telling that, you know, the last time there was any sort of, you know, to your point, Simone, that they looked at trying to modernize this was 20 years ago, which of course was in the wake of September 11th. And that was when there was a big overhaul of things happening. You would think then that that could have been an opportunity to update some of these systems it, from a security standpoint, if nothing else, right? Um, yeah. it, it's it's bonkers that what we've gotten is incredible security theater yes. in the form of the TSA, like taking your shoes off and fancy, fancy metal detectors and nothing in terms of like how how the system runs. No, I know. I totally agree with you. Right. Like and, and, and I think you're right, Brie, like we are it, we're lucky this doesn't happen more frequently, but it is the only quibble I have with some of the reporting on this is people trying to kind of conflate and compare the two scenarios with what happened with Southwest and what happened here, because they're completely different, right? Like right. one is like Southwest having really, really bad um, software that they have known about and have been complaining about for years. And then this, they're not really, I, from the reporting I've seen, they don't know what the outage was. I mean, at one point, you know, Buttigieg confirmed they couldn't rule out cyber attack, which is beyond scary, because the the worst system you could imagine going down or being taken over by ransomware or cyber attack would be, you know, anything involving the FAA. That mm-hmm. that that is genuinely like a worst case scenario uh, thing. And and so I think that they were right to ground um, planes. Uh, you know, as unfortunate as I think the delays are, but I, I mean, I think that this is just it, it's unfortunately like a, a very long story about like the the failed efforts to modernize the tech infrastructure and government. And again, we've had, you know, many, many 
you know, years, you have decades to try to get this under control. Uh, and we haven't. And um, it, I, it, it's frustrating to me because I don't think that the the new Congress, like the new things that we have in power will necessarily be wanting to prioritize this. They're, they're going to yell and scream and blame Buttigieg, even though he has nothing to do with any of this. Like all this stuff was, was predestined under him, you know, well before he joined. But um, it, they're not going to want to spend the money or invest the time into actually updating and modernizing the software. And even if they wanted to, by the time it gets done, it's like you could have another Congress in session and and another, you know, more people in power and 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 have different things. It's just uh, I wonder, like there there needs to be, I think, uh, in, in some of the budgetary stuff that we do, there needs to be a much bigger fund dedicated for infrastructure maintenance of, of, of tech upkeep within government because these things keep happening and it's because this stuff can be uh, is not important enough, you know, to to fit into other pork bills and and continues to just well it's still working so we'll just continue you know muddling on even though just kick the can down we're, the road. exactly we're just going to continue yep. to take it down the road where, where we prioritize investing in other areas but not like very core infrastructure to how uh not just our country but like the entire world runs because when our airline system falters it's not just us who's impacted it's the entire freaking world no i i definitely agree with that and yeah, gosh, it's uh, I, I don't want to get yelled at for saying this. I, I think that your point is really right that there was some <clears throat> there was some good that happened from deregulating uh, the airline industry. What I'm talking about here, though, specifically is about the the you know, this was 11,000 air traffic controllers trying to act as one saying we want better pay. We want better, you know, better right. hours moving as one. And, you know, people forget that with the labor movement, it, it, it isn't just about pay. It's also about safety in the workplace, right? right? And I think that, you know, if Congress is trying to, if we're going to make the decision to, like, basically federalize air traffic control and say that, you know, Congress is going to fund all these airline changes, which let's just be honest here and look at the total costs. Like, I think there's a way to look at privatized air traffic controllers and say they would have fixed this system a long time ago mm -hmm. or invested some of the the money that you need to do this. Um, I, I just, I think that if we're going to have it being a federal system, you're correct that if that, that onus is just on Congress itself, that, that stimulus does not seem to be there. I think another place that could come from is an organized labor movement with people saying, look, we have to certify these flights. We're working overtime to get this ancient software to keep working. We need a complete overhaul. And I think that's another area that, you know, political pressure could come from to basically address this. The bottom line is this is not working. Uh, I have no faith in the political process doing this correctly. And something has fundamentally got to change here because it is only a matter like we've I, I know it's like Die Hard in 24 where terrorists take over the airport, but it's an utterly <laughs> realistic oh, scenario really here. And, 100%. You know, I don't screw around with national security. We've got to get this done. No, I mean, I, th I think absolutely. I mean, you think about like our most successful cyber attack was when we were able to, uh, you know, do the worm into the um, Iranian power, um, yep. uh, you know, uh, plant. And and that was very important. And like, that was a good spy operation. But like, let's not think that we are somehow immune of these things. And and like, I work uh, with, with uh, big software uh, enterprise systems all the time. Uh, which has made me extra kind of uh, skittish about this stuff because I know how many things can go wrong in what's known as like the software supply chain. And that's with modern systems, let alone whatever, you know, uh, hobbled together stuff the government is running. And so I, I worry about the security implications. Like you said, uh, this could have just been a corrupted, you know, thing where when it rebooted, they were having to restore from backups. We don't know. But I think it just points out again, like we're not investing in these areas. We should be. And this is one area where to me, like there's absolutely no argument that this needs to be a priority because this is not only, uh, you know, a, a, a national security risk, which should be enough. But this is like, you know, for all the, the uh, super capitalists out there, the Republicans, like <laughs> this is a, a major, major economic driver. And, and it, we, we can't have a risk of these systems failing. Because I am not uh, so much familiar with it at all. What what can you talk a little more about what the changes in deregulations 
that Reagan made were that you agree with? Because I'm not not a huge fan of his work. I'll be honest with you, and but I don't know anything about this specifically. Well, the, um. so so the the whole thing with with airline deregulation was that at the, at the time, like they had government imposed uh, pricing on um, like uh, price restrictions and and then entry restrictions uh, for airlines that basically uh, also that. So, so not only were there certain prices in terms of like how much people had to to pay to do certain things, but also they only permitted carriers to serve very specific routes. So the limit, the amount of mm. places you could fly was very limited. And, um, and, and it was one of those things where they kind of carved it out in what they pretended was kind of a fair way, but really impeded a lot of people from having access to air travel, frankly. So you would mm-hmm. not have had like the story of, of all the, currently modern air airlines is basically a story of, of, of deregulation because although um, all of them existed before uh, deregulation, although I think Southwest basically was, was very nascent, they were smaller. The, the bigger, uh, at least in the U.S., what were kind of known as we never had an official airline like um, in, in other parts of the world, like Air France was like the flag carrier for for France and uh, Lufthansa for, for Germany and, and things like that. We never had an official Flight carrier ours was uh, essentially, um, I, th- I think it was a, a was a, it was Pan American, um, but we also had mm-hmm. TWA, which uh, which did some other things. Uh, but the other airlines were smaller. But as a result, you had you know very specific routes that went certain places, and and it was still kind of seen as this, even though it went more mainstream, like this very luxury, very um, specific type of way of traveling um, that was not open to a lot of people. And then there wasn't price competition because they were set by government fees. So there was no incentive for it to go down. And then they limited what routes you could go. So that limited the expansion. So, you know, we, air travel would not exist, uh, like candidly, if, if we hadn't, um, loosened mm-hmm. the reins on that. To, to be fair though, I mean, I, I agree with your overall point. I, I do think it's worth saying we've had how many airline bailouts at this point sure. you know, to, to you know, <laughs> basically pay for, you know, basically this, this game where it's like rock bottom prices. And then, you know, one goes out of business and it's got to be bailed out and they do stock buybacks instead of like saving for a rainy day. I mean, it's it what, is it, is it four airline bailouts? Sure. Having said that, we've also had a lot of big airlines go under. TWA is gone. Pan Am sure. is gone. Eastern Airline is gone. Right. Um, and so I'm not, I'm not arguing that. I'm just saying that like you're the number, the amount of air travel, like quadrupled or quintupled basically uh pre and post deregulation and 100 percent. you know i was reading uh in prepping for this segment i was reading a a story about why american airports suck so much and it was uh you know comparing our airports to some of the ones in the world where if like you have a layover and it's christmas they've got like a a ski rink set up for you where you can go ice skating (laughs) or like a theater where you can go catch a movie for free while you're Uh waiting for a flight, you know, and stuff like that. And I I do think it's like an an outgrowth of this very American, like, uh, approach to airports, you know? And like, if you think about the golden age of air travel, I was never alive for it. But, you know, in the 60s and 70s, luxury, you wear ties, women Mm -hmm. wear heels to go on the plane. You have tons of You're eating a, a giant meal. I mean, I I think that we've made the right decision in making this a bigger system for people, certainly. I just, I think somewhere along the line, systems don't function without properly aligned incentives. Agreed. And, you know, somewhere, Mm. this is, this doesn't have to be a stupid left versus right debate on, you know, like uh, regulated versus unregulated. Like this is, it's a case of, like misaligned incentives here. Yeah. And there's clearly no incentive here to update this system. And that needs to be addressed one way or another. And you know, maybe yeah. we need yeah, to look something at something bad will happen no, eventually. Agreed. I do want to make one I do want to make yeah. one quick correction. Please. Uh it was not Ronald Reagan who deregulated the airlines. It was Jimmy Carter. Right. Deregulation Act oh, was 1978. My God. So that's actually pretty major. So it was a Democrat who deregulated things. And so, I mean, Reagan, I think, made some other decisions to he accelerate stuff. He fired the air traffic controllers. Sure. Fair, yeah. fair enough. But, but, but he did not deregulate the airlines. So that I just wanted to make that correction because I did not know that until I just Googled it. So there we go. We are always learning things. <laughs> um, all right. Well, yeah, I, I think my, my biggest uh, learning moment for me besides learning something about airline history in 
general is just that I, I am pretty uh, harsh on the airlines themselves whenever I encounter them and their uh, horrible way of existing. Perhaps I should also extend my harshness to the FAA. Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> I've been I've been far too lenient. You know what? Delta, everything you did to me with basic economy. Awful. Ooh. I take it back. <laughs> Maybe it's not entirely it's not your all fault. fault. Maybe you, you are interfacing with a government agency that is underfunded and understaffed who is making your life hard too. I refuse to fly Delta. That's one of I have two airlines. It's just Christina a hard loves no. Delta. I do love Delta. I oh well, but they but they they are wonderful to me. I I I, don't, I respect anybody for making you, any you decision. Give them a lot of money. I every do give year. them a lot of money. <laughs> so I they 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 are wonderful to me. But I totally understand any. I respect anyone who makes a decision to fly or not fly any airline. I will say, if you pay any airline enough money, they will usually treat you really well. <laughs> mm-hmm. True of life as well. This episode of Rocket is brought to you by ExpressVPN. You've probably heard by now that you should be using a VPN when you connect to the internet. But adding an extra step to anything that you do every single day can sound like a huge hassle. Well, if you knew how easy it is to protect your connection with ExpressVPN, you'd be doing it already! ExpressVPN is the easiest way to browse safely, securely, and just dang better. Uh, Especially, I mean, as we have just been talking about... uh, technical problems today this one not caused by a cyber attack but they are out there they are waiting for you uh using a vpn as a way to protect your privacy it is also of course a way to browse television shows and websites even clips perhaps on twitter shared by certain sports organizations (laughs) uh that would otherwise for some reason that is completely inscrutable be kept from you. ExpressVPN gets rid of all of those things that you hate about VPNs. It's a VPN done right. First of all, it's blazing fast. Lots of other VPNs slow your connection to the point it's not even worth it to connect. Like the giant in Twin Peaks talking um, Mm. to Dale Cooper. But ExpressVPN doesn't lag or buffer. You can stream in HD with no issues. And using it could not be easier. Just open the ExpressVPN app, click one button, and enjoy instant protection across all of your devices. The fact is, once you connect to ExpressVPN, you don't even realize you have it on. But your connection is secure, your data is encrypted, and you can spoof your location so you can have access to content available outside your region. Uh, No wonder it's been called the best VPN by CNET. Right now, you, my friends, can go to expressvpn.com slash rocket, and you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash rocket to get three extra months of ExpressVPN. expressvpn.com slash rocket. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Rumor Klaxon! Mark Gurman of Bloomberg. He is at it again. He is unstoppable. He's telling... Y'all, get this. You will not believe what Mark Gurman of Bloomberg is saying out there. He's saying it's possible that with 2025, the MacBook could shift to an OLED screen and the new beloved MacBook Pro could have a touch screen. Woo! Now, whether... Woohoo! Yeah, okay, brief woo. Brief woo. Woo-hoo. Sorry. Whether such a device will ever ship or whether it's just something that Apple may or may not be experimenting with remains to be seen. Screen type, unconfirmed. Gear, unconfirmed. Touchableness of screen, unconfirmed. Presumably you will be able to touch it they'll they'll let you do that but whether it'll do anything we don't we don't know previously if but that being said mark german one one might call him someone who knows things about this world previously craig federighi uh told press that users they like to when their hands are on the keyboard they like to keep their hands on the keyboard they don't like to lift them off it that's why they love our touch bar and steve jobs himself was very critical of touchscreen computers as well as styluses but moving on rather Rather than 
Explorer a touchscreen. Apple, of course, gave us the touch bar in its 2016 to 21 MacBooks. Those, I think we can say, though, were loved by some, detested by others. We can all agree that they never reached their... Ignored ignored by by most. most. Yeah. Ignored by most. Never reached their full potential as as a component of the MacBook. Um, Touchscreen tech continues to flourish elsewhere uh, on uh, Windows computers and on Apple's very own iPads. Uh, could we see this coming to MacBooks within the next, what is that math, two years? And are we excited about it? And is my notifications going off? Nope. I'm yes. just hallucinating sounds. Uh, someone's are, so I don't know uh, who. I turned mine off. Sorry, okay. my husband was texting me. Yeah. <laughs> so, I sh- so I sure hope so. I sure hope so. I, you know, I went from, I've done a complete 180 in my opinion about like touchscreen computers because I'm somebody who's still... When I and I have a number of touchscreen computers, I still don't really use it very often. But mm-hmm. at this point, I think that it's absolutely ridiculous that Apple doesn't have um, a touchscreen Mac because it, they've made it, it seems so obvious to me that they've been slowly but surely kind of merging the two worlds of, of iOS, especially iPad OS and Mac OS. And I'm not saying that I like that. I'm not saying that there haven't been negative trade offs for me as a Mac lover primarily. However, that is what's happening. And when you look at like the user interface, uh, just even the size of things, like they're all touch targets. It's also weird to use mm-hmm. iOS apps on a Mac and not have a touch screen. And um, it's weird to me to have like certain touch elements, but not others. Um, I don't know. I, I, I hope that they do it because at this point, I, I think that it's, it just, it makes very little sense to me. The fact that I can have, a continuity system where I can use my iPad as a second screen and I can share, I can even drag windows across and I can touch my iPad when there's a Mac app on it, but I can't touch my Mac screen. Like there's, there's just so much like disconnect there that I almost feel like I I really feel like I've gone, I've had done a complete 180 in the last decade where I went from being like, Oh no, they don't need to do this. Now I'm like, yeah, actually I think they do because they need, if they really want to have a more unified ecosystem, then having these, multiple ways of of using user interfaces really does feel antiquated compared to everything else out there. Yeah, that's that's pretty much how I feel, Christy. I've no doubt someone could go through past episodes of Rocket and find both of us like criticizing the idea of uh, of touchscreen Macs. I've I've really changed my opinion on this. I, I want a Mac Studio, uh the equivalent of like the uh the the studio surface. surface. Um yep. You know, with a with a, a stylus, I, I desperately want something like that. It would make me buy an iMac again. Um, for people that don't know, this is a product that like folds down like a Cintiq tablet, and you can mm-hmm. draw on top of it. I would love that. I would use it all the time. Um, you know, I, I just don't see a reason not to ship something like that. Also, they put so much effort into, um, you know, like this unified stack for iOS technology being available on the Mac. And you've done all this great work with the Apple Pencil. Like, why not make all that great, like, code recyclable for Mac apps and just put that <laughs> over there and have stylus support for a ton of things? I, I do think if they do this... You know, I'm thinking about this in the form factor of my my gaming laptop, which is a Razer, and it it has it built in. It's helpful once in a blue moon to just touch a target or swipe some photos. <laughs> but, you know, overall, it's like a, a lost opportunity in my estimation. I, I think if they want to really maximize this, it's got to come to Mac first. And then if they're going to bring it to a MacBook, I just don't mm. think Apple can get away with, you know, just adding this one implementation, just leaving it there. Like, it's got to do mm-hmm. something. It's got to have a purpose on a Mac. Um, and I think because of the form factor on a traditional MacBook, you know, making it so your pencil, you know, snaps magnetically to the top of your Mac um, and being able to draw on the screen, I just don't think that will be a gratifying experience at all. So I think that they're going to have to, you know, do like a yoga tablet fold um, feel for it. You know, maybe even a detachable tag, uh, tablet style for it. There are a lot of different ways they can do it, but I think they'd have to innovate with the uh, the MacBook form factor to really make that a useful upgrade. Yeah, I actually really like the vision that you've painted of like the iMac as the touchscreen, Brianna. I love that. Um, it, it almost reminds me, it, remind me of the name of the extremely 
large Windows device. Surface Studio. uh, That is like a huge tablet. The Surface Surface Studio. Studio. Thank you. Which Mm -hmm. was always like so sexy to me. Um, And I can almost envision, like to to me when I'm envisioning this, I'm very pro this development to be clear. Like I uh, have been using my iPad with the, uh, the smart keyboard for a couple years now. And I am constant. I love that system. It's what I used to research the show every week. Um, and then I'm constantly finding myself like when I switch back to my MacBook, I will inevitably at some point like reach up to touch the screen and then go, oh no. <laughs> um, so it, it's something that while it's certainly not something that I am like lacking in my life and I'm suffering because I can't use it as a touch screen, I think it would come very, very naturally to anyone who has used an iPad and is, of course, using an iPhone as well. Yep. Like, it could be a natural extension of that on the laptop. Um, the idea of an iMac, which I know is is totally outside of, I think, what this story was originally about, but that is even more appealing to me somehow because it would be something Same. that would be different and and even more I, I think with more potential for 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 ways that it could be exciting for users especially i mean pro users i don't oh, yeah, know that artists. it's something where like an imac could have because the surface studio is built specifically for for art and visual design i don't think an imac would have those same capabilities necessarily in terms of like what artists need with sensitivity and um pixels per inch or whatever but it could still be a really interesting form factor for a pro machine, I think. I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think especially when you like look at like Apple Pencil and things like that, like, you know, I think you can make an argument like maybe if it doesn't have the exact same form factor as a Surface Studio, you have something like that where you can kind of draw on it and or annotate on it. You know, if it, if it ironically, I remember this because I remember writing it. I remember the headline I wrote, which was like your next, you know, um, uh, iMac might be an iPad. Apple had a patent for essentially what was very similar to the Surface Studio, um, you know, uh, six or seven years before the Surface Studio was released, where you had a, a MacBook that can kind of angle down. And the idea there with the patent was that it had one sort of interface when it was up and then a, another like touch sensitive interface when it was, um, you know, uh, elevated uh, down. And um, I always thought that was a great concept of kind of switching between kind of the two modes, you know, but you could imagine really, I think if you kind of bring those two worlds together, that being really powerful, but I think you made a really good point, Simone, which is, you know, for people who are primarily familiar with, with touch interfaces, if you ever watch little kids use a laptop, especially any Mm -hmm. sort of Mac, they immediately touch the screen and they expect the screen to work. And it doesn't, right? And and it, and it little youngest kids don't understand why, and I think even older kids kind of don't. And then you were, we're in this weird we're, we're ugh, we are in this weird world now, where a lot of the laptops that kids use in school are Chromebooks, and most of those have touch mm-hmm. capabilities. And you have most Windows laptops have a touch screen that works to, to varying degrees. And Look, I usually don't wind up using it, but I will say that on occasion it can be really useful, especially in a convertible situation where, you know, if you've got a a Surface or some of the Lenovo devices where you can literally kind of take it off of the keyboard and use it like you would an iPad and and make notes on it, that can be useful. I also genuinely find it very useful when I'm scrolling through slides or through a website to sometimes just like Mm -hmm. swipe up on the screen, even on a laptop more so um, than using a mouse or or a keyboard. I, I just... It can be faster, but, you know, there is going to be this whole generation now at this point, we're going to be, you know, 10 plus years into the touchscreen era of every computer, but a Mac. And we're, you know, 15 years into the capacitive touchscreen era on phones. I do think like no matter what Apple has said about always wanting to keep the two systems separate, which I've said for years on this podcast, I do not believe for a second. Like I think that like <laughs> doth protest too much. Like it's just like, we're never going to get a color iPod or an iPad or, or a bunch of other things. I'm like, it's no until we yeah, can figure sure. out how. <laughs> um, I think that at a certain point, you know, Apple has to capitulate a little bit and realize the rest of the industry, not just for computers, but for everything is moved into this world. And it becomes almost an anti-pattern in a certain way of like how kids today are growing up using devices. And I do wonder if like long-term, if you're missing out by not having a, a primary user interface model that literally every other device that you interact with uses. Yeah, that's a really good point. Like, no matter what leadership is saying publicly, there are undoubtedly some very smart people at Apple who are 
acutely aware that this is the industry standard and has been for a long time. And yeah, to that point, like even if something doesn't happen in 2025, I don't doubt at all that it's something that they are exploring because as you pointed out, Chromebooks in every classroom, kids growing up with phones that are eroding their fine motor skills. It's a different issue. (laughs) But (laughs) yeah, yeah. Brianna, do you have any final thoughts? Yeah. Do you think that, you know, Apple tends to be really conservative with the iPhone design, right? Because it's their flagship model. It's got to be solid. They're just not the company that's going to bring out like foldable phones or anything crazy on a whim. Do you Mm -hmm. think that they would be bold enough to ship a MacBook with the extra hinges and hardware you would need to have like a yoga folding screen to, to, you know, there are two ways you do it. You either like wrap it around or you have it. So the screen turns 180 degrees Mm -hmm. and you can lay it flat. You know, both of those, like we, we really praised the, the solid quality of the M1 MacBook on this show because it is, I mean, everything about using it is a joy. The key presses are a joy. Opening it up is a joy. The magnets are a joy when it closes. Mm-hmm. You know, if you had that folding capability, it would absolutely come at some expense of the simplicity of that engineering design of the sure. hinge and the solidity of it. So do you think that Apple would ever make that compromise to to make a really cool Mac you could draw on? Like, I, I think they, I want to believe they would, but I also think Apple would like to sell you an iPad yeah. and a MacBook, you know? Right. Well, I mean, I think that's the question, right? Because I, I think it's, it's interesting because if you look at what they've essentially done with the iPad is they've turned it into a Surface Pro. And, and right. that comes, like, they, they completely ripped off the, you know, the, the keyboard cover, the Surface cover that Microsoft introduced. For which know, we are very grateful. It's yeah, a great, we are. Yes. Yeah, to, to be clear, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, just saying they, I'm just saying they completely ripped it off. I'm not even talking necessarily even about just the Magic Keyboard, but in general, they've, they've completely ripped that off. And I think you're right to say that it could cannibalize that market. I wonder, though... Going forward, again, this has been my prediction, and and who knows if this is exactly what uh, German is talking about or not. I've just like they had, you know, um, uh, Mac OS X running on uh, Intel machines years before that transition. I would be shocked if they had not had touchscreen Macs working for years. And I do wonder at a certain point. Again, I'm not necessarily saying I think this will be a good thing for everyone, but you know, I do see more of a convergence of iPad OS and Mac OS at a certain point because they there is such a weird like most people are not going to buy both like if you're you're not going to buy both an iPad Pro hmm. and a MacBook Air like ninety nine point nine percent of people will not do that and so at a certain point you know you kind of wonder like do they make one kind of you know convergent device that that um, you know is maybe Mac OS and, and gives you both form factors because right now you could make the argument that they're a little bit cannibalizing MacBook stuff by selling the Magic Keyboard, you know, for an iPad Air, which costs the same amount of money, if not more, once you add in, in certain things. So I don't know. I think I think that's a good point. But I, if it's the right decision for product design, they've never been afraid of cannibalizing their own products before. Yeah, I just think, you know, they've had years to put together pro-level software on the iPad. They're they're just not going to. No, that, they're, exactly. They're just not going to. They'll 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 do what they have to do every year, put together a select product presentation. If the if the Apple Pencil is ever truly going to be a pro tool, it's going to have to be on the Mac, right? And I don't think I would want to be limited to an iMac to experience that, which means that they're they're gonna have to experiment with some different like iMac designs at some point. Um, so yeah, there it is. There it is. We will be eagerly awaiting some hard news on this. And we will attempt to remember. <laughs> I really I will attempt to remember my initial feelings on it. No, I'm pretty <laughs> sure that I'll remember how I feel about this, which is incredibly positive. Now moving on to something that I think we all feel incredibly negatively about. But it's <laughs> going to be fun to talk about. <laughs> a second crypto scam involving Logan Paul in some capacity. We love him. Is getting renewed attention after a video from SaberSpark that's gotten some 500,000 views over the past few days. 
This crypto project in question is called Heavy Sigh, Dink Doink, and why, subtopic, why, why do crypto projects have the worst, the cringiest names in the you entire world? Why. You know why. Ah, so Dink Doink was a decentralized IP, I say this in quotes, cartoon that would be owned by the community. It was also a coin that could be traded. Uh, Logan Paul, history, backstory on this before I throw to Brianna to explain in some detail some things that I wish I hadn't seen with my eyes. <laughs> Logan Paul, uh, over the summer of 2021, uh, endorsed the project on social media, saying like, oh my God, you guys, I believe in this one. Um, it saw a 40,000% increase <laughs> and then fell by 90% over the course of a couple weeks in what looks an awful lot like a pump and dump. Interesting. According to extremely legitimate statements from uh, stakeholders, it's definitely a long-term project that everyone believes in, and it's still going, but, well, Wink. it's not. <laughs> Logan Paul is involved uh, because of the aforementioned endorsement, um, but, as covered by SaberSpark in the video, he also used to be roommates with the guy who created Dink Doink jake broido and it seems possible that he had more stake in the pump and dump than he initially claimed question mark <laughs> we don't know uh but a huge focus of this for me is not simply the scammy coin that the nasdaq website itself <laughs> just raked over the coals it is this uh decentralized cartoon that Thank goes you. with it that's the and best to part. speak oh on God. that oh i will throw God. to our own brianna Wu. so okay it is it pains me i don't know if i would go so far as to call the the south part art style art <laughs> but it's art it is art right <laughs> we oh, have really? to accept it as such to begin this conversation uh, yeah, okay. also arthur ripped it off in that famous episode of arthur where they parodied all like the cartoon styles it's like the greatest this episode of uh, Arthur ever. Anyway, totally, it's totally. art. Yeah, it, it is a visually distinctive art style. So what you need to know is Logan Paul went forward with this crazy dink doink scheme, and and the idea is it was going to be this synergy between entertainment and crypto and the audience. So there were multiple parts to it. The first was this idea that dink doink was literally just this like South Park spring character, right? Um, was going to be fully decentralized. He didn't own it. It was uh, like open property. Anyone could do anything with Dink Doink, like uh, I suppose Pedo Bear and 4chan, like kind of the same idea there. Um, so that was part of it. And then the other part of it was to put forth this cartoon that literally ripped off the South Park art style to the point I cannot visually distinguish between the two. The humor is the same, but worse. And the idea with it was they basically put together these shorts where they would like um, get um, like a clip of Elon Musk on the Joe Rogan podcast and hmm. they would um, basically recycle and write jokes around it and have Dink Doink having an adventure with Elon Musk uh, like dying and going to heaven and just 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 the most, like, I know if you're thinking it's Logan Paul involved, it's going to be trashy and it's going to be stupid. Let me assure you, these cartoons, <laughs> if you watch them, are stupider and low rent and lowbrow and trashier and bro humor more than your most pessimistic, like, appraisal of what you're imagining they could be. And then, you know, on the other side of it is this uh, essentially crypto rug pull where once again, you know, Logan's going to his audience and he's saying crazy things. Like, I believe I was put on this earth to like uh, uh, unify, uh, to break down the barriers between cryptocurrency and entertainment. And I'm in this for the long haul, y'all. <sighs> and then it comes out and like, he's let's, so shameless. He is so shameless him. before we even get into the pig, which I hope we can talk about this week. Um, but, you know, the thing is with the cryptocurrency rug pulls, you know, like we scam our audience here at Rocket with our scam edition T-shirt, but we tell Absolutely. you we're scamming you. Like we do. you would never. 
I mean, if you're doing this with the cryptocurrency with Ding Toink, like all the millions of dollars they made from this necessarily came from um, from Logan Paul fans that believed his statements saying he was in it for the long run, right? And then they just took that money away from them. So it's it's another scam. It makes no sense whatsoever. It's even stupider than CryptoZoo, which is a very <laughs> high bar, and it's just terrible. At least yeah. CryptoZoo has a good pun in, like, the crypto. The zoology connection dink doink sorry christina go ahead you know <laughs> no i totally agree with you i mean it's 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 so dumb i mean the only thing i'll quibble with and i i look i and when i say i love logan paul it's honestly that i i do i so appreciate the shamelessness of how he, he did write even, a wonderful song no he i did, need to know also, how how specifically do you love him oh because he's <laughs> he's so shameless like he doesn't even hide about, like I, I honestly sort of do appreciate, and I'm, I'm, I'm not even being ironic here. I kind of do appreciate the fact that, like, you, you do kind of know what you're getting into with him. He won't promote anything that pays him, honestly, and uh, he's also very, very good on, on uh, as a wrestler. But um, I, I'm not saying that absolves him of anything. I'm just saying, like, I, I think that like his brand at this point is pretty much like people know, yeah, he's really gonna promote anything that gets him paid. He is like if Scumbag Steve was a physical human being. <laughs> like he's, he's oh, like yeah, if Scumbag guy, Steve became an influencer. Except Scumbag Steve, who I met, that that guy was actually really gross. So I, oh. weirdly, yeah. But like you know, anyway. Um, That's surprising. When all the meme, it, not at all. I mean, somebody who was trying to make a career out of being a meme, looking like a scumbag, was gross. Go figure. But um, no, I mean, I think though. The interesting thing here is I do wonder, like, and I'm not in any way saying that it wasn't a scam and that he shouldn't have known better and whatnot, but I always get the sense from these things with him that, like, his business manager signed him up for stuff and they're just like, this is how much money you could get out of it, which is probably an inflated amount and not what he's actually going to get because I also get the idea that Logan Paul doesn't really closely look over his finances super well. And and then he's just like, okay, cool, I'll promote it. And, and not really, like, understanding all, like, the hymns and haws of it all. Like, I just... I don't see him as necessarily not that I don't think that he could be capable of like ripping people off. I just don't see him as necessarily being like engaged enough to want to actually be actively part of a rug pull. If that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Again, it doesn't make any of this any better, but it does make it funnier when you see the sort of stuff that he will like so willingly promote, like, you know, these really, really terrible, um, like bad by like early two thousands flash, you know, uh, comic uh, cartoons, stuff like it's just it's just it's really bad watch the arthur episode where they parody south park instead and uh christina has slyly added it to the show notes before my very eyes uh as we have been speaking um so you listener so you can check that out yeah the uh my favorite detail of this as i was watching the saber spark video was the initial couple episodes that just completely and when i say completely completely ripped off South Park's art and then suddenly in episode three or so changed slightly just enough just enough as if someone had said this could get us in big trouble <laughs> possibly um, and became not in any way more visually appealing but in fact worse because um, it turns out art uh, has a purpose um, mm mm-hmm. It's very disappointing because I, I am a, a huge fan in general of the concept of uh, recutting interviews to make new content. I myself made an excellent interview with Werner Herzog many years ago uh, where he is purportedly talking about Neko Atsume, the uh, cat <laughs> mobile game uh, that was incredibly fun to do. This oh, I bet. does not even like go anywhere near a level of complexity. Like There are no jokes. It's literally just Elon Elon Musk in heaven being like, uh, hi, and the freaking dink doink spring giggling. It is so utterly banal. Um, and I I I uh oh gosh. Don't invest in these things. Just don't. <laughs> I know I don't need to tell that to our listeners. They're not doing no, it. But, but we need God, to say it anyway. Shamelessness. Yeah. Well, what bothers me the most, I'm going to be completely honest with you, is that, like, they don't even try, right? Like, yeah, it wasn't even funny. Not, yeah, there weren't even you're jokes. Not even, uh, 
you're not even trying to put out a good product. Like I'll, I'll say this Ashton Kutcher and, 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 um, um, Mila Kunis and some of their people, like they did actually get like professional voice actors and actors to try to do like an NFT kind of driven cartoon series that they were trying to fund with that. And I, and I don't think it was successful, but at least they're, they had professionals involved and were actually working on a storyline. And I think that the idea was misguided, but I understood what they were trying to do with it and it was creative and, and there was real art involved, even if I think the mechanism of how to deliver it maybe wasn't quite ready. Like, it, and I can respect that. And I can, ex- I can completely respect people for experimenting and trying, but this, there wasn't even any trying in this It's literally just like buzzwords together. And then literally like using, you know, a, a South park um, animation template um, in whatever animator program they were using and throwing some crap together. Like that's literally all it was. Mm-hmm. Garbage. Well, thank you for bringing this to our attention, Brianna. Uh, it has certainly improved our lives immeasurably. <laughs> can can we talk about the pig thing for just a, a quick minute? Because yeah, yeah, go on. Okay, so I, for people that don't know, Logan Paul went and got a pet pig, and then a uh, basically no. an animal rescue group uh, put out something a few days ago, talking about how they found this pig um, nearly dead. Um, with another pig that was deceased um, and they rescued this pig and it was now safe. Um, They were taken care of. I think the pig's name was Rose. Um, No, Logan Paul would not name a pig Rose. I'm completely misremembering (laughs) it. But uh, so he's been in so much hot water over not just the crypto zoo thing, but the the pig thing I think has blown out to an even higher degree. And I'm going to do the indefensible here. I'm actually going to like give a little bit of context, which I think will absolve Logan Paul of the pig crime. Because if you read about this, he was, um, he was moving uh, to another country. And before he left, he couldn't take the pig with him and work to get the pig rehomed. And then the person that he gave the pig to to rehome it gave it to another home, Ugh. which is the home responsible for for doing this. So I I kind of feel like this is one case where he's kind of getting an unfair rap. Like really, yeah. ideally, if you're gonna get a pet pig, you should like like really take care of it like for the long run like you've made that commitment and like the the animal uh welfare place notes that a lot of people do tend to get pigs and don't know how big they're going to get and you know how much work it's going to be to keep them and then kind of like neglect them and abandon them um so like if you're going to get an animal i i'm of the opinion you've got to like take care of that animal even if it's not necessarily what you signed up for like yeah, my dog mm. Splat has autism and he's kind of a pain sometimes to deal with. I didn't know I was getting that when I bought the puppy, but we still love him and give him a great home. And, you know, we we structure our lives to make him happy and to meet his needs. So, you know, like that's just what you you deal with when you get an animal, you know? Totally. Yeah. I mean, and I do understand like if you are and, and also to be clear, look, the reason he moved to Puerto Rico was for the tax benefits yep. of all of his crypto holdings. So we should not discount that. Having said that, I do know like if you are leaving the country, there are types of animals you cannot take with you. Right. Um, and and I think pigs, domesticated pigs are, are among those um, in many, many places because uh, for various ecological reasons. So I'm not going to again, he chose this for tax purposes. I, I think in an ideal world, he never should have adopted a pig if he knew he could not be in it for it for the long haul because pigs live a really long time um and uh and they can grow to be quite big that people don't understand right i i you know people like ariana grande buy teacup uh, teacup pigs and then don't realize they're going to grow to be like 150 pounds and 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 then get rid of them and and are idiots and she was an idiot for that right but like this is it's very unfortunate that that happened to the pig. I, I I don't know what you can really do with that unless you really go through like every single step of the way to ensure and then follow up after the fact who you, you know, um, rehome an animal to, because I'm, I'm, I'm going to be very unpopular here. I am one of those people who I do understand their situations when you cannot keep a pet. And, um, at, you know, there's some people who don't believe that in any circumstances. I'm not one of those people. Uh, pets are not the same as, as, as humans. I'm sorry. They're not. And I understand there are some scenarios where you can't keep them. Having said that, it's obviously really disappointing when, you know, uh, the, the poor animal is, is in bad shape. I hope that the, I hope the pig is okay. 
now. Well, now I know more things that I didn't know about before. <laughs> hey, uh, Brianna, what are you up to this week? Oh my gosh, I'm getting back to work. You know, I really recommend for everyone out there, take New Year's off. Like, go on vacation over New Year's. It was a good call. I got back to Boston, ready to work, um, focused, just feeling rested, relaxed. Um, it was a really good call. I've just been hyper productive all week. So, uh, just uh, enjoying all the after effects of that. Beautiful. We love to see it. Christina. What are you up to? Yeah, no. Um, some of them also, you know, back in the thick of it at work this week. Um, I was back last week too, but really, you know, kicking ass, taking names. Um, uh, this week, uh, which is great. And uh, I will also reiterate what Bree said because I had a tweet thread accidentally go viral today where I was talking about the scam that is unlimited vacation in the United oh, States. Oh, that was so good, Christina. And and I stand by that. Uh, I not to say that it can't be beneficial for some people, but. Let's just be honest. It's a little scam. The Even people though, yelling at you were just absurd. Well, and I and wanted to tell you that. <laughs> Thank you. And it's fine. People can totally disagree, but I'm just, let's not be misguided about who's um, really uh, benefiting when those systems are put into place. Having said that, if you do have any sort of vacation, unlimited or otherwise, use it. Uh, do not be like me. And uh, so, so plus one debris for taking time off. But yeah, I'm just back at work getting things um, uh, situated. Uh, next week, I will be going to Las Vegas over the weekend to, with my mom for Adele. So I'm like oh, 10 it's minus. Oh, time. It is. So, so, we're, so we're like 10 minus like nine days now before Adele, which is very, very exciting. Woo. So uh, that's that's very and, good. And these were your tickets that needed to be rescheduled, right? Th- this is correct. We were originally supposed to go in um, March of 2022, and instead we'll be going to the end of January of 2023. So thanks, Beautiful. Adele. So yeah. happy for you. I've got to tell you, just that whole thread of yours on Twitter, Christina, I read that. I'm reading the people nee, 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 like doing the Twitter thing on you, and it's just like, I feel like there needs to be a class when you sign up for Twitter. It's like, look, you're going to read statements here and it may not apply to your exact <laughs> life right. and your exact situation precisely from time to time. Do you consent to this? Yeah. I, think, no. I think that kind of informed <laughs> consent would be so good. What's that? The, I, the best tweet of all time that's been reposted to Tumblr so much is like, hey, I saw your tweet and I recognized some words. I'd like to give you my interpretation of what you said. <laughs> um, what am I? I'm not really doing anything this week. I'm making some cookies. Um, I am enjoying the start of the Formula E season. Uh, this Friday, Formula E starts back up with season nine. Um, I've never watched it regularly before. Uh, there is a YouTube series that they put out a couple years ago, I think for 2021. Um called formula e unplugged on their official youtube channel it's actually really good it's like a mini i think 10 episode documentary series uh neat short little episodes just detailing the 2021 season uh they did make one for 2022 but it is or maybe it's 2021 and the one i'm thinking of is 2020 i don't remember it's not out yet on youtube for free but it is on uh, certain broadcasting services i believe i'm really excited for it to drop on youtube uh, but this is going to be my, I'm going to just check out some Formula E and see how I like it. I am primed to love it because uh, what I have learned from watching that documentary, uh, while I don't remember the year specifically that it covers, I did learn that they had like 10 different winners in the first nine races or, or 10 races or something, which is, you might notice, not something that has happened in Formula One over the last season. We had like five winners total of the 10, 10 teams over the whole year. Um, so I am really excited for what promises to be like an actual competitive and unpredictable motorsport. Not that Formula One isn't unpredictable, but it's certainly less predictable than one would like. Um, so I'm psyched about this uh, and that. Uh, yeah, so I'll be watching that on Saturday. Can I, a nice, can I propose a video race. that you do at Polygon? Yeah. Hit me up. I think if you love Formula One racing so much, I think you've got to become a sim driving nerd. I mm. I do. I think you've got I, to I try agree. to hook a simulator up 
and literally do the the racing for a Formula One season. And do like eye racing and all that. It, like a set of Corso, so which is oh, it's terrible. <laughs> and you know, I feel like like because I actually own some of these cars, like I feel like the physics of them are not really that accurate. But I don't know. I think that would be great content seeing you try to become a race I car agree. driver. I, I was going to say, look, Frank, Frankie Munez is the actor is now professional, is now a NASCAR driver, like as his job, like that was uh, uh, trending today. So okay, see, very, I should become a real life NASCAR driver. That but, would be fun for me. That would be fun. <laughs> but, but but to get there, like most of the professional drivers, like they do have sim setups. I know that the physics, you're completely I right, for you are the same. But because Grant <laughs> has spent a lot of time building his um, sim setup uh, and uh, and has a lot of fun with it. So I, I think that this would, I agree with Brie. This would I be great text content. Grant and ask for like some tips on getting mine you should. better. <laughs> you, you should, because he spent a time on it and, uh, and, and like, yeah, it's, it's fun for him. Well, uh, Christina, speaking of that, where can we find you online? You can find me at film underscore girl on the Twitters and uh, the Instagrams film at film underscore girl at uh, mastodon.social. I'm, there rarely, but I'm going to try to get back into that again. I'm just putting that out there. And you can find uh, my um, stuff, uh, my videos that I make for work at youtube.com slash GitHub. And Brianna, what about you? <sighs> Brianna Wu on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I'm Doom Quasar everywhere. I'm at youtube.com slash Polygon. Uh, TikTok.com slash at Polygon and twitch.tv slash Polygon. Oh boy. Titch. We're Polygon. We're everywhere. Titch, Twitch. What do I say? <laughs> Uh, you can find our podcast available for review on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are found. And you can go to relay.fm slash membership to learn how to become a member and get access to ad-free episodes and our very sexy bonus segments where we give you an extra helping of dessert and talk about whatever is making our brains go fizz pop on this particular week. And this week, of course, it's going to be reviews of Prince Harry's memoir, Spare, uh, which has uh, taken the internet by storm, evoked many screenshots, many takes, many op-eds uh, and opinions, so, which are op-eds, and we're excited to talk about it. But first, I'll go to the bathroom, and that's something <laughs> that no one will have the privilege to hear on this podcast. <laughs> Uh, we are not. Wow. That type of, we are not. That, Unless something goes very. I was going to say five we're not, stars. Five I was going to say we are not that type of podcast. That is bonus content for our OnlyFans. That um, I don't think I don't. I, <laughs> we should launch a rocket OnlyFans. No. No. Um, no. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay okay everyone uh five star reviews only please uh for <laughs> and j just let us know <laughs> next week we'll be back with a more wonderful uh text stories for you but for now this episode of rocket is terminated 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 <laughs>